Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Crisis Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome to episode 11 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And once again, this is the third in a three-part series that deals all about associate equity models. We unpacked this over the first two episodes, gave you a framework to think about it, and dove into RSUs very deeply in a prior episode. And in this episode, we're gonna do an equal deep dive into something called profits interest units. Profits interest units are significantly different from restricted stock units. We'll do a little bit of compare and contrast, and we'll show you where they actually fit best in your overall growth strategy. I know you're gonna get a lot out of today's episode because I'm gonna be joined once again by my partner, DeWalker Sinha, and you know he's a wealth of information. So this is sure to be another note-taking episode. Get your pad and pens ready, brew another cup of that awful Keurig coffee, and we're ready to roll. Once again, thanks to everybody for joining me on the podcast again today. This is Perrin Desports, and I'll be your host. And once again, I am going to be joined by my co-founding partner here at Polaris, DeWalker Sinha. And some say that in an attempt to get into Navy fighter pilot school, he asked for a reference from none other than Tom Cruise. DeWalker, is that actually true? Can you say hello to the audience and let us in on a little secret there? Parent, thanks for having me again. I can neither confirm or deny that. Well, I, let's just say the jury's still out, um, but we all know that Navy Fighter Pilot School is not DeWalker Sinha's primary occupation. It is here at Polaris, though, thankfully. And I'm thrilled to have him back on the podcast. This, for those who've been following the last handful of podcasts, this is the third in a three-part series around the concept of equity. We feel very highly about the concept of equity. We think it helps to move mountains and create greater businesses. And we've been talking about the concept of equity from an associate and even from an executive standpoint. Attracting and retaining associates is the number one problem of every growing group practice. Doesn't matter how many locations you have, or how many years you've been in business. And there are ways to differentiate yourself from the competition as it relates to attracting and, and hopefully retaining associates. And one of those ways of differentiation is through an earned equity model. This is what we talked about in the first installment at a very high level from a conceptual standpoint about what do we mean when we say earned equity and, and how is that different from traditional models, certainly. If you haven't heard that episode, uh, please do go back and, and listen to it because I think I addressed some of the high-level concepts early on. The prior episode, we talked about restricted stock or restricted membership unit equity 
And today we're going to do a deep dive into something called profits interest units or PIUs. And profits interest units are another earned equity methodology. Much like restricted stock units, they are very commonplace in corporate America. DeWalker and I didn't dream up all of this on our own. Um, and, and we're not the smartest guys in the room, though we love it if you would continue to believe that for sure. But restricted stock units and profits interest units are very commonplace in corporate America. They're tried and true methodologies of attracting, entertaining top talent. And they're very commonplace uh, in publicly traded companies. So today, as I said, we're going to do a uh, a bit of a deeper dive into the concept of profits interest units. And we'll start to unpack some of the mechanics certainly behind that. But I think to open up the show today, DeWalker, why don't we talk about what you have seen and what you like best about the profits interest unit type of a program? You want to take it from there? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think uh, it's different than uh, RMUs or RSUs that we talked about in the previous podcast. And uh, profits interest, I think it um, allows to create a clear delineating line uh, for the recipient. And what I mean by that is, you know, you create, you know, you kind of put in evaluation of the practice or the company and then create a bucket or a pool and say, okay, above that, you know, this is the equity that you, you're able to get. So um, it, it also allows the recipient to focus on their individual entity. And, and so this works, you know, not to get ahead on the process, but it, it, this does work very well uh, for uh, executive equity, uh, you know, some doctor equity, if the doctor is tied to the practice um, and you know, you're going to be more in uh, rural areas or suburban areas where the doctor is not moving to multiple practices. So it doesn't work for floater doctors, you know, that are like, you know, uh, periodontists, oral surgeons, uh, orthodontists that might be going to multiple practices, uh, but it works very well if that orthodontist or that general dentist or that specialist dedicated to a practice. So uh, it's it's another equity tool. Um, the one of the advantages advantages of this is going to be on the tax side. Uh, not speaking from a CPS perspective, but a tax attorney's perspective. But um, when profits interests are issued, um, the valuation, not to get in the, the the economic model too detailed, is is zero. So when the shares are issued or granted, they're zero. They have zero value. So there's uh, no tax implications. Now your attorney and your CPAs have to file different forms for it to get to that the the, the tax uh, uh, shelter. Uh, and as the valuation improves, you know you you pay long-term capital gains on it, depending on how how long you hold it. Uh, but that is really advantageous for the tax structure basis. It's uh, advantageous in the fact that. Um, it cr creates a clear delineating line for the equity position and everything above that, you have some pro rata split. So I think it's in some aspect, the optics are cleaner uh, uh, than the RMU, RSU side, but they're both good products. It depends on what is the outcome you're looking for. Yeah, I, I think um, that's a, it's a really good point because as I said in a prior episode, these are not one size fits all. Um, it's a it's a tool in the toolbox, and you want to make sure you're using the right tool for the right job, obviously. Uh, and and that can be really different from an application standpoint, uh, restricted stock unit or restricted membership unit versus profits interest unit. Each has the appropriate place 
um, and each has the appropriate application, I will say. Uh, one of the things I, I do like uh, uh, personally about this program is that it fits, it typically fits really well in a startup model. And I know we'll talk a little bit more ab about that in a little bit. Um, but DeWalker and I are very big fans of the de novo approach um, to, to growth strategy. That being said, most groups are growing through acquisition. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but the de novo approach is something that when you can solve for the right outcomes and, and you have a, a good business model and, and you know your numbers and the mechanics behind driving growth in a de novo uh, scenario, like we've talked about on prior podcasts, this is something that really um, allows for uh, earning equity above and beyond that threshold and, and protecting the founder or, or owner's risk that they took in a de novo strategy. So um, that's that's kind of cool to see as well. There are a lot of other applications beyond that, but that's something that, that I tend to gravitate to relative to profits, interest units. So shifting gears just a little bit uh, and talking about um, uh, the mechanics, if you will, behind profits, interest unit, they are different from restricted stock, like we mentioned before. Uh, and and I wonder, DeWalker, if you want to maybe take the first step in terms of unpacking some of the mechanics, and then I'll chime in as well. Uh, yes. I mean, as far as uh, the model being different here, um, you know, what we do is, uh, you know, look at, again, what is going to be the the threshold we need the business to break into. So as, as Perrin, as you alluded, these, these are good on a startup basis, but also they're good if you have a dedicated partner at our practice. So uh, let's say, for example, we had a HR facility doing, um, it's only equipped for four chairs or five chairs, but plumb for eight. Um, so that on an um, average production basis on a general practice, and I focus on different specialties because different specialties can have different outcomes for its total output, um, is going to be anywhere from two and a half, uh, as low as 2.25 million. Two and a half would be a reasonable output out of that practice. Uh, but if that practice is only four to five chairs equipped, it might only be doing a million to five to at best a million five. Uh, so the question ends up being, what is the the outcome we want from the doctor partner at that location? And I'll I'll kind of go into the mechanics of a startup also. Um, but you know, so if we can, you know, let's say that million to to million five practice is running at a twenty percent margin. So on a million five, twenty percent margin is three hundred thousand. Um, so we know what our two baselines are as far as revenue and EBITDA. Uh, and then, you know, we look at the analysis of the business, look at to see different data points to see what the value of that practice will be. Um, and then we'll set the valuation threshold. And that's where the the, the shares are being issued at. Uh, they may not be vested yet. So they have, you can do vesting schedules and profits interesting. It's also similar to, as you can do with RSUs or RMUs. So I think that's a pretty unique feature in both products to create the golden handcuffs. And, and now the goal is, okay, with that doctor partner, you know, how can you support him or her to grow that practice to two and a half million dollars in revenue? Um, and to, again, a 20% margin, which would be 500,000. And what does that do to the valuation of the business? So let's just assume that both valuations are at five X. So 300,000 times five is 1.5 million. That's the baseline, and 500,000 times five is 2.5 million. That's the the outcome we want out of the behavior. So 
you know, what is the percentage you want to issue for the delta valuation change between 1.5 and 2.5 million? So that's really the question we're trying to help answer our principal doctors on an economic basis or a mechanical basis. And then, you know, what is impactful to the doctor that's receiving it? So we kind of think through those aspects of it on a practice by practice. You can do similar mechanics on a DSO level. It just gets a little more complex on a cap table issue. Um, you know, when we start creating this same structure at a DSO level and multiple doctors are earning equities, you have to create a, a waterfall for each doctor for each year being issued. If you have multiple years being issued, um, because, you know, parent, I may earn equity in 2021 into a dental practice and that's at a, you know, $1.5 million valuation. You're coming in in 2025, the practice is already doing two and a half million dollars. Now I have to create a waterfall for you above that. So that 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 different staggered approach for different years does complicate profits interest at a, at a DSO level. Um, so that they, they, it tends to work better at the practice level. Now on a, on a startup side, that's really we've seen a lot of success on it is to be able to go to a doctor that um, you know you may want him or her to go to a startup and say, okay, you know, can you help me grow that business to its full potential? And you may have invested $500,000 or $750,000 into the capital improvements of the business with construction and equipment and additional marketing dollars in the beginning. Uh, and in those cases, we'll set, again, a valuation threshold that recovers the initial capital investment from our principal's position and then rewards both parties for participating above that, uh, above that position on the growth side. So a uh, similar outcome, again, you know, to the other earlier example, and our goal typically, depending on the doctor provider and the number of locations, is in the low end to be half a million dollars in equity for the recipient, ideally be closer to a million, million five for structure it that way. Um, and if there's enough of a delta available in the business. Now, if it's a mature practice, that's pretty close to its uh, uh, top end, then I think we just need to kind of better understand where, you know, where we can offer equity. Maybe RSUs work in that case, RMUs work. Uh, but profits interest work very well for either a, a, a de novo location where you need an anchor doctor to go out there or a, a business that is doing okay, underutilized at a substantial runway ahead of itself to grow the business. Yeah, I think uh, going back to our audience being more than likely comprised of uh, founders or owners of, uh, of businesses, the way that that you want to think about profits interest just conceptually, maybe less mechanically here, but conceptually is just ask your the ask yourself the question, okay, if I if I can create a million dollars worth of valuation in this business by myself or based on the systems and processes that I have, um, but that's as far as I can take it, how much would I be willing to part with to an associate if they could help me drive the valuation higher? For example, going from a million dollars in valuation that you created on your own to an associate helping you take it from a million to $2 million, how much would you be willing to give up on that second million dollars to make that uh, dream a reality? And that's where the profits interest piece comes into play. And like we say, it it works really well in a de novo standpoint or with an anchor doctor or a lead doctor or senior doctor, whatever you want to call it in that location. So um, definitely different mechanically speaking from restricted stock units and definitely has its place slightly differently than restricted stock units 
but equally valuable in the right application. And I think that's really what we're what we're driving at. Now, you mentioned Walker um, a little bit um, uh, about executives a, a few minutes ago and the um, earning profits interest potentially at a at a corporate whole co level. We often talk about almost all of our equity models from the perspective of the associate, and that's that's the primary problem we're trying to solve for. But a lot of the groups that we work with these days are um, bringing on a executive talent. So do you want to talk a little bit about profits interests um, uh, from an executive standpoint? I think we talked a little bit about associate more thoroughly here, but just from the pr- executive perspective. Uh, yes. Uh, so similar to our previous podcast, uh, again, you know, when we create the profits interest plan, you know, we uh, use similar data points, which is, okay, what is the impact the executive is going to have on the company as far as uh, revenue improvement, um, EBITDA improvement, uh, and what is the valuation change that we're looking for? So on the profits interest, it's a little more focused on the valuation change um, and then uh, tied to the revenue and EBITDA improvement. So, you know, we'll create, you know, anywhere from a 2% to 5% bucket, depending on the uh, bucket standing, I'm sorry, uh, additional pool of shares available for depending on the growth plans of the business, depending on the number of doctor, I'm sorry, executive partners are going to be part of the business in the future on a forward looking basis. So we might have a five location group where one person's realizing some level of profits, interest units, and they might be going towards 25 to 50 locations. That's going to require additional executive members. We may not have a CFO today. And so we have to think about, you know, what does that look like? Where's that waterfall going to be? At which tier level? So um, there again, the benefit here is, uh, you know, we can do a one-time grant of shares um, or multiple years. That just creates a more complex waterfall um, and allow the uh, executive to realize those equity based on the performance and the valuation change in the business year over year. Um, so similar concept to RMUs, RSUs, as far as understanding revenue and EBITDA improvement. But I think the cleaner thing here is we just create a bucket and then we issue the shares from that uh, available pool of shares to the executives for the performance that they're contributing to. And this could be in lieu of incentive, but typically it's concurrently with an incentive plan, which is a cash bonus plan that the executives may participate in. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things we uh, didn't mention in the prior podcast, I think I talked about this on the first installment in this three part series, but for our audience that is uh, contemplating bringing on uh, executives um, in leadership positions um, and and creating earned equity opportunities, be they restricted stock or profits interest, it goes without saying that you have to have the right legal structure in place. And almost always that requires state dental board approval. So working with the correct law firm to structure these programs where you can have non-clinical ownership uh, at a corporate level and making sure that you have all the the regulatory compliance pieces, uh, all all the regulatory compliance boxes checked uh, in the states in which you're operating is uh, of critical importance here. Don't build a, a model where you have non-clinical ownership that doesn't get realized because you're um, not compliant with the state structure involved. So word to the wise, and I don't know that we necessarily address that, 
in the prior podcast, but it's definitely something worthy of consideration as you're going through this process. So I think we we talked uh, already a little bit about where the profits interest units uh, tend to work best uh, in terms of, of application here. But do you want to touch on uh, some client success stories? And uh, again, at a high level, not necessarily naming names or anything like that, but where where we've seen some success using the profits interest unit type of a model? Uh, yeah, I think the profits interest, you know, the, the startups have been a really good success for us. You know, where, you know, getting the anchor doctor to go out there, build up a practice from scratch uh, that has zero patients, create a business plan, marketing plan behind them. Um, and, you know, we've seen practice in the first year um, do close to a million dollars out of that. And then the second year going into million, five, million, seven trends. Um, you know, so I think that's really impactful when you think about statistics basis to do a million dollars in collection the first year to drive that behavior from an associate's position. So the associate partners that go in and say, hey, I want to um, uh, own my practice and this is where I'm going to uh, uh, grow it. And they want it to be impactful. The profits interest at a practice level has been uh, really uh, impactful. And then there's, again, you, know, can, you can make it very impactful in the fact of how shares are valued at the practice level versus the sub-DSO level. You can kind of get into those economics, but uh, for the purpose of our podcast, you know, practice level equity for a startup anchor doctor Profits interest is a really, really good solution. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll kind of double back on what I mentioned earlier, and that is that yeah, I, I would have to assume ninety percent of the groups are growing through acquisitions, and and probably only about ten percent of them, you know, maybe maybe ten to twenty percent are growing through more of a de novo type of an approach or a blended approach, even. And I think one of the concerns from so many founders and and the reason that they don't uh, employ a de novo type of a strategy is that they're they're very concerned about um, investing money to start up a business and and their you know first area of concern is uh, attracting patient number one right you know and growing the the revenue of the business uh, growing the new patient volume into it and then making sure that the business operates at a much greater than break even type of a level. And as we've said on prior podcasts, certainly talked about today, the ownership mentality of associates is a primary catalyst for for achieving above average results. And if you have an associate in place in a de novo and that associate understands that for them to be in the money meaning to become a partner, to have equity, they've got to drive, help drive the business above some uh, threshold level of revenue and EBITDA, then you've got uh, a very capable, highly motivated, and very driven associate in that de novo to, to really take it into the black and far beyond in terms of a, an equity context. And that does help to solve for some of that initial anxiety from a founder standpoint in the de novo application. So I think it it really does work well. And I'd love nothing more personally than to see more people, um, you know, promoting this type of a strategy um, and, and looking more at de novos in terms of growth strategy beyond just acquiring other headaches and cultural misfits and, and all that sort of challenge as it relates to the integration side of a an acquisition strategy overall. So hopefully profits interest 
and our discussion today is uh, um, is giving people a little bit of a different look at that type of a, a growth strategy too. Walker, this has been uh, really, really great. I, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast always, um, but I know this is a an area where you and I both have a lot of passion and we've seen a lot of success working with clients. And, and we know that these types of an approach are uh, different from what has been historically the norm in our world. And hopefully it's producing um, above average results for all of them. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me, Perry. You bet. We will do it again uh, at some point in the not, not too distant future. And obviously, DeWalker and I appreciate all of you and the audience for joining us on our podcast today and, and every day. As you have questions around equity, associate equity, uh, profits, interest units, or anything along those lines, uh, feel free to drop me a line directly at Perrin at Polaris Healthcare Partners. Com. I'd be happy to try to answer your questions one-on-one, -on -one, or certainly uh, if they um, are, are meritous of it, to answer one on the air and, and give an answer to the question as it relates to uh, something that's submitted from the audience. That's always fun to do, and certainly we enjoy it. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Well, thanks again to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the podcast today. But both today and the last two episodes, we went pretty deep into associate and executive equity models from the earned equity perspective. And I hope that that gave you a, a little bit of a different look or a different methodology or different mechanics in terms of potential ways to structure uh, an equity opportunity for your key players in your business. I understand that's a lot to follow, especially verbally and, and to the degree that we went deep on, on both subjects of restricted stock and profits interest, but I hope you got the concept behind it and I hope it just gives you a little bit of a different perspective. Before we wrap up today's show, I wanted to refresh a press release that hopefully by now all of you have read uh, that came out earlier this week and that is about a new teammate and an addition to our team here at Polaris. We recently announced the hiring of Aiden Bradley as an executive coach to help us expand our strategic consulting offering here at Polaris. Aiden is a tremendous asset to our team. We've known him for a while and we're fortunate to be able to bring him on board. I think he will continue the pace and cadence uh, and frankly philosophy that DeWalker and I have approached our consulting offering. We are not traditional dental practice management consultants. We are more business strategists and executive coaches. And I think that really separates us from some of the other would-be competitors in our market space. And Aiden will absolutely help us to perpetuate that. He brings about 20 years experience to Polaris in the world of operations, human resources, leadership, and business reorganization. And suffice to say, he's got a very similar skill set to me and DeWalker. He's a, he's a great guy when you get to know him. And I look forward to our audience getting to know him on subsequent podcasts, but also some of the um, seminars and things that we will put on at Polaris and as well as some of the conferences that we'll attend, Aiden will be in tow. So we are really excited about having him on board 
and and think he's going to be a tremendous asset to our team. Suffice to say, you'll all get to know him in due time. As we pivot and talk about something to conclude today's show on the what I call something new, noteworthy, and cool type of a front, you know, we are voracious readers, avid readers, and, and are constantly sharing book recommendations with our clients. And the other neat thing is that I, I get, a, frankly, I get a lot of book recommendations from the audience on great books that they've read recently that made an impact on them individually or certainly on their business. And um, nine times out of 10, or maybe 99 times out of 100, those uh, book recommendations are all about business or personal development and the like. Uh, and I have made a concerted effort going back to the probably middle of COVID to continue my business reading, but also to supplement it with some either biographies or um, nonfiction stories um, and accounts of things that happened in history, uh, and also some fiction, frankly. And, and a lot of that fiction takes me back to books that I may have read when I was um, growing up or through college or you know early years outside of college. And I decided to actually reread a series of books that probably most of you read when you were a kid, The Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis. And these are books, um, it's a seven volume series. You may recognize the series more as being um, uh, titled The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I even think there was a a uh, bit of a movie or maybe a, a couple of movies made out of some of this. I never saw the movies. I read the books when I was probably, gosh, fifth or sixth or seventh grade, maybe, and um, remembered bits and pieces of it, but not a lot of it. C.S. Lewis is an unbelievable storyteller. These are easy reads. I mean, they are really targeted at at young readers just coming into the world of reading. So it's not going to take you long to grind through them. Each book is about 200 pages and there's seven of them uh, in the series. But um, I read them like candy, back to back to back to back. Um, they are really great. He spins a wonderful yarn, as they say, and is just a great storyteller. And if you're looking for something to read that is not business, that is not self-help, that kind of gets you out of the moment and distracts you a little bit, or allows your mind to wander and, and just be a kid again, the Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis are tremendous. I'd highly recommend them. It's a book series that I hadn't thought about in, gosh, 40 years or something like that, 35 years, but I can't recommend them highly enough. And I'm so glad that, uh, that I took the time to, to read through them. They were really, really tremendous. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't share them with uh, everybody in the audience. So once again, today was a lot of fun for me. Um, equity, associate equity, executive equity, and earned equity models are something that DeWalker and I are really passionate about. And when we get to speak about subjects like that, and certainly when we get to present it to our clients, it's um, it's a lot of fun and it's it's really pretty cool. So I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. If you did, once again, I hope you'll re leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And certainly if you've got questions, feel free to submit them directly to me at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. You never know when I might pick one and read it and answer it on the air. 
And of course, if you want to find out more about us, you can take a look at our website, www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next episode.